All right, welcome back to But Why Should I Care with Deanna Huff and Ellie Huff. Today we're going to be talking over a topic that has is so unique. It's such a a vast unknown place. Yeah, in fact, Douglas Gruthis says that it's shrouded in mystery and controversy. That's exactly that's okay. <laughs> wait, I like that better. This is a place where we are shrouded in mystery and controversy. Um, today we're going to be talking about Gnosticism. Now, this is not necessarily something that I hear people like explicitly being like, I'm a Gnostic. Um, but a lot of the time you can pick up unique little um, pieces of information from conversations and think, oh, they're, they don't know that they're Gnostic, but they're kind of falling into this new age Gnosticism. So uh, we're just going to break that open today, give some reasons as to why it's not necessarily the most compelling most logical uh, worldview to hold, um, and how Christianity definitely doesn't align with it. Because, yes, go ahead. Yeah, it, it, even some people will try to say I'm a Christian Gnostic. Yes, and that really is an incompatible statement. Right. So we are not claiming today to have any authority whatsoever <laughs> on the Gnostic belief, but we are going to give what we understand as a general synopsis, so that we can at least expose that you cannot hold both the beliefs of Christianity and Gnosticism compatibly. I guess. Yeah, and I, I like what Douglas Gruthis also says. He says that Gnosticism presents a distinctive spectrum of beliefs and a central philosophical core that is discernible. So there is something we can know about Gnosticism, mm -hmm. but it is this sort of broad spectrum of ideas, right? Right, right. And just to be clear, Gnosticism, not to be confused with agnosticism. That's so true. agnosticism is the belief that we should pretty much be skeptical of um, absolute beliefs and that we can't necessarily know what is true. So they go about life in a way that is pretty much questioning everything, not necessarily knowing any um, particular belief system grounding them. So they'll say, I'm agnostic when they say, I don't really know what's um, the meaning of the world and my place in it, right? Right. And they'll say, I really don't know if there's a God or if there's not a yes. God. It might be just as simple as that. We should do a podcast over agnosticism. Yeah, that's eventually. a good idea. Next but, time. Uh, Maybe that's next, next time. time. <laughs> that is not this time. This is most definitely Gnosticism. G-N-O-S. So, yes. Nos. A-G. Gnosis. <laughs> yes. So on that note, Gnosis meaning, or Gnosis, yeah. Okay. Uh, meaning knowledge. So uh, it's meaning having knowledge. So Gnosticism is this. Um, and Elizabeth Lash Quinn, I think that's, I believe that's how you say her name, but she wrote a book called Ars Vita. Um, beautiful book, by the way. A, be a beautiful book. And it's um, about the fate of inwardness and the return of ancient arts of living, right? So the belief that philosophy is the art of living and kind of thing. So this is a class that, or I'm reading this for a class, um, History of Ancient Philosophy. So this um, Gnosticism initially came up because this is one of the most earliest beliefs of pretty much the world. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, uh, in the early church, of course. Yes, that's what I'm saying. And so it was one of the ideas that came out and people began to have these tentacles of Gnosticism. Sure. And then the church fathers began to object to what they were saying. Right. And so this is one of the countering arguments right. to Christianity 
yes. during that time period. So Lash Quinn, um, she writes that Gnostics held that the material world was created by an evil god, the Demiurge, who was inferior to the ultimate divine source, and that an elite group of, this is important, an elite group of human beings emanated from this divine force and possessed a quote-unquote divine spark within them uh, that would allow them to be saved upon their attaining gnosis, the knowledge, uh, a special esoteric meaning elite spiritual knowledge. So it's just this belief that, in fewer words, we must assume some type of secret knowledge in order to save ourselves from the evil material world we live in. Yes? Yes. In fact, they would say that the material self is evil in itself, and that's why yes. Jesus was considered to be something like a spirit and mm -hmm. not in the flesh because material was so bad and evil yes. that a good God could not have come through flesh. Right. So you see in the 1960s, um, I believe Carl Jung, he's a Swiss psychiatrist. Um, he introduced or reintroduced this um, ancient belief of Gnosticism to the modern world. I would say it's kind of prejudiced because it's, it's like saying that there's a particular elite group that can assume this elite knowledge that is secret, but that's a subplot. Anyways, um, they're seeking um, this esoteric teaching of a hidden divinity of humanity, which is non-material. So I've had recent conversations in this sort of uh, Gnostic belief regarding um, sort of this everything is godlike and everything is in godness so sort of a pantheism or panentheism two different things but um sort of this idea that we are all a sort of god um as long as we can rise above this material we can transcend this is all about transcendence mm -hmm. yes moving on from this material world yes. into something better yes and uh, you see in the Gospel of Truth, that's the book written by Valentinus, around 100 to 160 AD, I believe. And it gives uh, the traits that appear in this Gnostic belief. Okay, so once again in Ars Vitae, um, Elizabeth Leshquin writes, and she writes so well on Gnosticism, that's why I continue to bring it up. But um, okay, so she writes the... Gnostics uh, list might read, reality as an illusion is necessary, a divine cosmic force as the ultimate God is necessary to believe, this divinity of the elite, uh, and knowledge as the elite's soul salvation and fatedness. So all of those things together kind of create this Gnostic belief. Yeah, interesting because in the Voices of Reason, in Christian history, the section on Irenaeus, he writes that the cryptic knowledge that they were trying to attain, right? This cryptic knowledge was attained through this subjective, esoteric, mystical rituals, practices, incantations. The intellect or the mind was the enemy of the spiritually attuned person. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's really interesting because they're trying to gain this superiors type of knowledge mm -hmm. that apparently Jesus had, right? Sure. And that this knowledge was going to allow them to have this transcendence, pass this material, evil, evil 
world that mm-hmm. had been created, right. which is really contrary to Christianity. So mm-hmm. that's why it doesn't really make sense that someone would say, oh, I'm a Christian Gnostic or something right. like that, right? And they pull their belief system. This was what was interesting to me because I was like, where are they getting this um, information from? Like, why is there such controversy over um, should we be Gnostic? Can we be Christian Gnostics? Where is this all coming from? So you can speak on this, the Nag Hammadi. Oh yeah, the Nag Hammadi, they discovered it in 1945 in Egypt. It is text, 52 texts that were Gnostic that they found from the fourth century. Mm-hmm. Now they do date some of them prior to the fourth century because mm-hmm. of some of the language sure. in it. So they would say, well, this is a copy of something that was in the second century because they didn't use this wording in this time period. It'd be kind of like me saying, hey, go call someone or grab my iPhone. And you yes. would know that there was a certain date sure. that I couldn't have written that in because you said they didn't have iPhones sure. at a particular time, right? Yes. But today they have iPhones, so they would know that writing was within that particular period. So they do know that it was dated a little bit prior to the 4th century on some of the writings. However, they would still argue, the the scholarship would still argue that the Nag Hammadi texts, which are known as the Gnostic Gospels, some might even say the lost books, they try to say, oh, these were the lost books and put them on the same authority as God's Word. And I think that's one of the reasons why that it's really important to talk about these things because people do try to say, oh, well, you have the Bible, but have you read the Gnostic Gospels? Right, as if they were lost books of the Bible, but they weren't just lost books of the Bible, they were rejected books of the Bible. That's exactly right, and a great point that you make there. We're referring to the particular time when the early church is coming together to affirm the books of the new testament yes 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 and the those gnostic books would have been contradictory to what was the old testament therefore they were rejected they weren't just lost yeah and and especially contradictory as well to the new testament right Mm -hmm. and many of the things that jesus was saying as well right so let's just like breakdown as to why those were fraudulent writings. Okay, what's interesting that you say that. So one of the texts that is in the Nag Hammadi that's kind of popular is the Gospel of Philip. And you might hear someone Mm -hmm. say like the Gospel of Judas or the Gospel of Thomas, but when you're looking at the Gospel of Philip, it says that the world came about through a mistake for he who created it wanted to create it imperishable and immortal he fell short of obtaining his desire well that is in contradiction to what the genesis account gives us right and douglas gruthus points that out in stating that this is going to be contrary and so we can see clearly that there are statements in this text that are going to not be in alignment with the scriptures. Exactly. There were many church uh, fathers who are very prominent, like Arrhenius, who wrote um, a piece called Against Heresy, yes, um, refuting Gnosticism. So we can even see like in those early days, what it's so interesting because people say that like, 
we shouldn't believe in the books of the New Testament because they weren't written early enough. They were written within the first like 50 years of like Jesus being on earth. Like yes. people were there in order to read these books and create counter arguments being like, I'm a firm witness that this did not happen. But that did not occur because what happened was there is enough evidence to say that Jesus did walk on the earth and did die and did resurrect. Um, so it's interesting that these books would come so much later. Yes. Um, and people still would like to account for and vouch for their uh, validity. Their validity. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. As if, as if they are an accurate writing, and not even knowing the authors mm-hmm. or any endorsement from the church. Right. I mean, all of those things. It's it's interesting because Irenaeus writes this in Against Heresy. He says, Good. "Such then is their system," r- referring to the Gnostics, mm-hmm. right? Such then is their system, which neither the prophets announced, nor the Lord taught, nor the apostles delivered, but of which they boast that beyond all others, they have a perfect knowledge. They gather their views from other sources than the scriptures. So clearly, Irenaeus is saying, listen, they're not getting their sources from the scriptures. They're not speaking truths of the prophets or the apostles who were eyewitnesses to these accounts. And so we should reject them. And in his writings, most of Gnosticism was known because of his refuting those ideas of Gnosticism until the Mm -hmm. Nag Hammadi was discovered in 1945, which gives us a much broader view and understanding Mm -hmm. of what the Gnostics were trying to perpetuate in their belief system. If someone wants to really go into the understanding and belief system of the Gnostic belief, I think Dr. Michael Heiser gives a great overview Mm -hmm. of it. He has some teachings on it. You can find it even online probably. He gives a, a pretty clear understanding for someone who's wanting to go into a little bit more detail, but you have a really good synopsis um, of it. I would not say this is a very good synopsis, but from what I understand, <laughs> um, and I've talked to one person about this, and I've done much research, it still doesn't, it just doesn't come together for me, but this is what I have come to understand. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, send an email. <laughs> um, so presumably there is a divine force Uh, which aeons uh, come from, and there are several different aeons. Um, Sophia is the divine feminine, which she's ranked very low in the divine forces, Uh, but she, I don't know, she presumably, I I know that it was wrong that she wanted to produce um, other gods, but I'm not sure, I don't know if it was like, she just um, wasn't doing what the other uh, forces wanted her to. But all that to say, she created what is called the Demiurge, which is presumably the god of the Old Testament. And then from there begins where they um, see the Bible in their in, in the Gnostic uh, belief, is that Sophia wrongly created the Demiurge, the Old Testament god who is evil, and he created this um, world that is us. And and she, um, this is unique because this is kind of where the incompatibility, I think, uh, just begins. Because first off, the Bible doesn't start with Sophia and the divine forces. It starts with God 
And he is a good God who made a good earth with good people who turned against him, as opposed to Sophia creating an evil God who created an evil world, and that's how we got here. So um, that is presumably the origin story on a very, very, very preschool level. <laughs> and maybe a little bit inconsistent, but I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it really does depart from God's Word. I mean, you can see that in the Gospel of Thomas that it's generated the most scholarly and popular attention and probably is considered to have the best credentials, even though at the end of the day, it really doesn't have credentials to hold any authoritative weight, right? Mm -hmm. Even Mike Lacona in the book that he wrote on the resurrection, even to the exemption of the Gospel of Thomas, he says, even though people say basically that the Gospel of Thomas could hold some slight credential, even if it does, it's probably doubtful that it would. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Right. And so he says, but there's even uncertainty regarding the Gospel of Thomas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, here you have this historian who's saying, okay, well, you, even if you say it has credentials, even that is doubtful. Yes. And here are the reasons why. Right. And it's just completely incompatible with um, Christianity. So we see that salvation, in quotes, for the Gnostic uh, comes only by this knowing hidden truths. That's not how the Gospel is. Uh, it's by faith through grace that we can be saved by mm -hmm. believing in Jesus Christ. And um, this is not some type of secret knowledge that is uh, for the few or for the elite or for the esoteric or whatever. It is for all. It's, and that's why Jesus says, go out into all the world. And like, that's the, uh, the come on, help me out here. Um, Matthew great, 28. Great, great, great commission. commission. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We can remember words like esoteric, but great commission is a challenge today. Um, <laughs> anyways, so we see, I mean, like that is the gospel. So there's a contradiction there. Uh, there's contradiction with the origin story, as we said before, because we can't even understand the, the Gnostic <laughs> one. So, um, or at least I can't. Anyways, um, but clearly all of these, um, you know, we see in the Gospel of Judas, which is the one that I kind of like looked into, that Jesus will uh, turn to Judas and like laugh at him and like do like strange things that we don't see in his character throughout the rest of the scriptures. And then we know that, like, it is known that uh, authorship was sort of tricky to go about uh, figuring out in times such as uh, the ancient in ancient history because people would use pseudonyms and people would write from perspectives of, of other people. So, like, we know that that wouldn't have been by Judas. Also, the timing doesn't make sense for it to be Judas writing this. So all of these reasons continue to, like, compound upon each other that, like, Contradiction is there. Authorship isn't solid. Um, Jesus isn't acting the way that he is in anywhere else in the Bible. So, like, we should take these into account and logically be like, what is the most compelling thing to believe? That the Nag Hammadi is probably not valid, right? Yeah, and and, and I or authoritative, authoritative, that's authoritative better to say. for sure. And one of the things that's important for us to understand is that sometimes when we're talking to people they will talk about the bible and they will try to reject the authority of the bible in light of saying 
oh, well, the Bible's not the only documents that talk about Jesus. You also have these Gnostic Gospels. So it's very important for us to understand why we can say that the Bible does hold authority Mm -hmm. as God's Word and the Gnostic Gospels or the Nag Hammadi, uh, <laughs> and the Nag Hammadi does not. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, why should we care? Why should we care? Right? Because this isn't something that we're explicitly coming up with in our conversations or anything. But this is the information we need to know in order to have the correct responses um, to people holding these beliefs. Because people do hold the belief that reality is an illusion. A divine cosmic force is the ultimate God. Divinity is of the esoteric or those who can transcend to it. Knowledge is uh, the elite's salvation. So this idea of like yoga and transcending this evil body, okay, right? Um, And this fatedness, that there is um, fate that will um, take us to where we need to be and that we should be giving into this particular energy, right? This is New Ageism. This is literally New Ageism. And it's just a unique, you could say it's mythological, I guess. There's um, saying, there's people that would have controversy over whether or not it was mythological or psychological and all of these different things going into Gnosticism um, regarding Carl Jung and everything. All that to say, it's coming up. It's coming back. It's resurfacing. We need to know how to tell people, no, you cannot be a Christian Gnostic. No, you cannot hold this, that um, this particular part of the Bible is true, but it is contradictory to the Nagamati, and that's just compatible. It's not. Logically, it's not. We should be compelled to be logical, mm-hmm. unless you want to exactly neglect right. logic, which is going to be a different postmodern um, approach you're going to have to take to witnessing, but we can talk about the intricacies of that later. Um, we need to know why we have the truth and the Nagamati is wrong, because why wouldn't, you know, if you look at it from an outsider's perspective, an unbiased third party, why would you believe in Christianity over Gnosticism? We need to have that answer, right? So we go back into our toolbox of arguments that we talk about all the time. We don't have to break that open either right now. <laughs> um, we need to be able to eloquently give a case for the incompatibility of the Christian Gnostic. That's just it, I think. Anything else? Any last things you want to talk about Gnosticism? Last <laughs> count. Here we go. I will, right. say, I will say this go right ahead. here. Here's the last. Here are words of Irenaeus that are very good to leave on. We must avoid the heretics' doctrines and take careful heed, lest we suffer injury from them. But to flee to the church and be brought up in our bosom and be nourished with the Lord's Supper. Let's stop heresy. <laughs> Period. No, just kidding. All right. That's all we have on Gnosticism. I hope this will make you think. <laughs>